You made a mistake. This only 900. That's right. Six bits a box. Six bits a box? Hello, uh, yes, six bits. Six bits? So it's 75 cents. 75 cents? You cheat. Six bits is all I'm going to pay. If you don't like it, you can have your apples back. What do you say? I busted my truck pulling up your hill. I don't care whether I haul them or not. Yago Shabia, Yago Shabia. You take your money! And I take my apple! Yago Drazu poznala money! Jata Zwodje! 75 cents! Nich ludzi tak! Paweł! Nice going, Ed. Nice. No, he cheats. He saves one dollar. He pays six bits. Saves two bits a box. That's a lot of dough. Three hundred bucks. Well, we could lose our shirts at a buck. What am I going to do with all these apples? He got no truck. They're gonna rot. Give him his money. What? Go ahead. We'll need it for that shot, Universal. The Universal goes out, we'll park your rig and come back for it later. Sure, we got lots of time. We're on a tour. You made a deal. Give him his money. Every John in the business will know about apples by tomorrow morning. They'll flood the market. We'll be peddling hours out of our hats. Give him his money. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15-Minute Film Fanatics, the podcast where Mike and I watch movies separately and talk about them on the show for the first time. So, Mike, what are we doing this week? Well, this week we're doing a movie called Thieves Highway uh, from 1949, directed by Jules Dessin, which we just kind of randomly discovered on Criterion. We're surfing their film noir section and happened to put it on on a whim, not understanding what we were in for. Now, this was my pick, and I still kind of I know you like it, but I don't really know what you think about it. So I'd really like to get your overall take since I insisted that you watch this movie as soon as I finished it. Mike did insist I watch it. And Mike, before we start, can you tell everybody out there listening, what is, what have you come to call the Dan? What does it mean when you Dan a movie? The the Dan is when we watch an A-plus movie together, but every subsequent day after you've seen the film, it gets more legendary in your mind. The, the film balloons in your mind until it pushes out Citizen Kane for greatest film of all time. Uh, and the, the spider web of your interpretation uh, grows until you 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 just can't bear it and you absolutely have to record and finally recording is is like yeah you know uh is like milking a cow yeah it's the it, absolutely it's why the podcast exists so i ask that because i've totally done the dan on this movie now mike texts me he says you have to watch and by the way like you know if you're wondering how we pick the movies we do all kinds of movies we we do we do blockbusters we do well-known movies we do classics we do offbeat ones we do requests this is a real real niche movie so if you haven't seen it pause here go on criterion if you don't have Criterion, get it already watch thieves highway and come back so mike texts me um because we had done this gun for hire which is a, a movie i you know we knew um and says you've got to watch this movie and i said okay and and our rule is i usually i didn't look up anything about it i just watched it and i have done the dan on this movie because i loved watching it but I watched it maybe four or five days ago and I can't stop thinking of it and I wonder how I I wandered it wandered blindfolded through my movie life, never having seen this. Now I'm exaggerating a little. It's not Godfather 2, et cetera, but it's so, it's so well done. And 
and it's the kind of it's such a great thing when you go to watch a movie and you're like, where has this movie been my whole life? Like, how have I gotten up in the morning and and gone to work and driven a car and not known about this movie? There, there's a certain kind of arrogance that comes with top 100 lists, you know, especially when you you like movies the same way that we like movies. You know, someone says a top 100 list and, and you see something on there like The Sting and you think, haha, I've seen The Stings. Therefore, I'm on top of, you know, aesthetic uh, maturation of the entire industry, which, you know, we're pretty well up, but I didn't know this movie was there either. No. And I, I will tell you, my number one thought through this movie was this movie shouldn't be possible. Yeah, this exactly. movie shouldn't be possible. Exactly. Uh, for, you know, for those of you who have watched it, essentially you have a thriller as suspenseful as a courtroom drama about the delivery of fruit. And it makes it very clear what it's from, essentially from the opening scene. How how beautifully is, ex- is the expedition exposition done in this beautifully it's beautifully and that's what's hilarious you can imagine the pitch i mean this movie is it's the road warrior with apples it's it's the most high intense action-packed suspenseful thing but instead of delivering gas with mel gibson you have richard conti and his and his friend delivering apples can you imagine the pitch meeting for this movie absolutely not absolutely i can't even imagine it it's another one of those films where if you were a screenwriter and we were friends and you sat down and said, no, 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 I just wrote the perfect script. It's going to be an amazing movie. It's about a guy seeking revenge on a produce dealer for his father's missing legs by taking a shipment of apples up to him and finally getting paid what he's worth. And I would say, that's not a movie. Right. What are you and, talking about? And But the guy that wrote it, you know, um, uh, a, a, I think he's the AAI Bizarities. He wrote Kiss Me Deadly. He wrote They Drive By Night. He wrote the novel for this, which was called Thieves Market. So it's great how he, he again, we keep saying on the podcast, this shouldn't work on paper. And there is no way this should work on paper, but it works so well. I mean, it's got great performances, right? Like not just Richard Conti and Lee J. Cobb is great. Valentina Cortez as, as the prostitute, Rika. She's awesome. How good are the two the two guys who, who try to muscle them off the road? Outstanding. It's, it's one thing that is the mark of a truly great film and also truly great art in general is nothing is superfluous. Right. So the first time you see those two guys, you think, well, that was an interesting scene. And the second time you see them, you think, okay, this is kind of an annoying gag. And the third time you see them, you think, all right, maybe there's something here. And by the ending, they've ballooned and blossomed just like the film has in your mind. Yeah, and they change sides in the movie, which is great. Like, there's they're so good. By the way, a little side note: Jack Oakey, the guy that plays um the heavier guy with the baseball hat, you know that he was deaf. No way. Yeah, Jules Das. If you watch, if you watch the extra things on the on the commentary track, he or on the uh, extra features on Criterion. Yeah, the director talks about the fact it was amazing. He was deaf. The other like, guy, I forget his name in the movie, but he's he's like born to be a weasel yeah, henchman. Absolutely. Yeah, that, I, I, that's if that's not a high school superlative, but if it were like most no. likely to be Weasel Henchman, he would yes. have won all three years. He came out of his mother's womb <laughs> as as a Weasel's Henchman. So Rudely I love sand. that. It's such a great noir movie, right? It's got like all those great noir side cr- cracks. Like when he's like when he looks at her, he's like, a, "You were somebody's kid's sister," and she's like, "You look like chipped glass." And he's like, "Oh, you have soft hands and sharp nails." So there's like all this great noir stuff, but again, it's 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 unbelievable noir stuff about the delivery of apples. One of my favorite things in Kiss Me Deadly is when he goes to get the information from the Italian guy who's playing the opera for the whole scene. And it it's funny that th- this shares some pedigree because the beginning of this film is exactly like that scene from Kiss Me Deadly. And the rest of it is it's it, it's a private detective story with no detective. Right. 
that's exactly what it's like. And, you know, talk about um, how good is the truck crash that that when that truck crashes and his partner dies, that is as good as like the plane crash in Foreign Correspondent. Remember we did Foreign Correspondent and we were like, why is nobody going around talking about how good this scene is? It's the same thing. Like you've seen a million car crashes in movies, but that is so well done and you're so nervous. Like when the extra apples are rolling down the hill after it's over. Again, and again, one of the things that is the mark of great art is the rolling apples should just be, it's kind of like a technical tour de force. It's like the horses in HUD, right? Because you say like, you could have done the HUD scene with everybody standing around and then wiping their eyes with their hankies, right? But it, it's like, no, 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 we're just going to pack a hundred horses into this actual, uh, or cows, cattle, and, the, cows it, yeah. it, the, the cattle into this pit. Um, the rolling apple should just be extra, should just be for effect. And then it becomes the driving force of the entire plot. Yeah, because Lee J. Cobb is going to pay them to go back because Lee J. Cobb isn't low enough. He's going to pay them to go back and pick up the apples, apple by apple at the crash site. Um, what was your overall take on it? Uh, but besides not believing that, A, I hadn't seen it, and B, that somebody could write it or think of it in the first place, I found it entirely gripping. Yeah. Uh, this movie gets in at exactly the right moment. It gets out at the right moment and it refuses to let you go. Um, I thought there's no there's no wasted effort. There's no wasted line. There's no superfluous dialogue. Uh, there, there's no nothing. Everything is perfectly drawn. And I, I just don't understand how you get a movie so hermetically sealed, so well structured and then don't hear of it. They, it again, we, <laughs> right. we we talk about these movies all the time. Yeah. But if you if you told me I would like to study movies, I would say skip film school and just watch this movie a hundred times. <laughs> right. If someone said to you, like, like if someone said, how should I write a screenplay? You, there's a million screenplays that come up, like you say, on top 100 lists. Right. But if you want to if you want a, a specimen A of a screenplay. OK, here's the hero. Here's the hero situation. He's thrown a curveball. Now he's in a different situation. How does he get out of it? It, it? It's so well done that it looks artless, but a, a great amount of art goes into it. Yeah, it, um, it's the second movie about deliveries uh, that we've done. Is it? Sorry, we missed you. And much oh. like sorry, and much like sorry, we missed you. That's it's great. just a continuous stomach ache, right? Which which is <laughs> is is part of the the element of the movie, but. Uh, it occurred to me watching this movie that they made a show, which I never watched, but I understand that there's a reality show about ice road truckers. Right. And it's like, it's like ice road truckers as a noir. Yeah. I've seen ice road truckers and that's a good, that's a great, great comparison. Did you notice before we go on to the second part, did you notice, I don't know if you noticed, but when I watch it, I was so impressed by the fact that there are scenes of incredible noise followed by these scene by, by scenes of absolute silence. Like how, remember when he goes to see his father in the beginning and he's playing the record player and he's singing opera. It's so loud and he's all happy and he has all the stuff from the war. And then when he sees his legs, it gets like dead silent in the kitchen. Like that's so great. And like Lee J Cobb is yelling at everybody. Then he stops and thinks, and how about the farmers yelling like four bits of box, four bits of box. And then they start pulling off the, to the truck and crying. And it's it, it, like, there are, there are, this movie is punctuated by, by, all this noise, but then all this silence. Like it's such a good technique. And I, I think what that's meant to remind you of is the chaos in the market in the early morning because the right market time is like four to six thirty. And after six thirty, it gets very quiet. But it's yeah. but before that, it's the you know, it's a, the bizarre. Yeah. All right, I'll see you in part two.
Okay, welcome back. So in part two, of course, we like to talk about our key scenes. Dan, I think yours is first. Yeah, mine is when Richard Conti's on the phone with Polly, his his fiance in the diner, and the whole diner is razzing him as he's trying <laughs> to talk to her. He has to get the diner to be quiet so he can talk to her. And then she's just giving him grief on the phone. He's been through hell. He he hasn't slept. He's trying to he's trying to get these apples delivered, and she's just yelling at him. And I, for, it reminded me of The Godfather in two ways. One is that it's like when um Michael's on the phone of The Godfather and Clement. It's like, oh, Michael, if I don't see you, I'm going to die. So it's like funny. It's funny to razz him. But it also brings up, of course, that also like the Godfather, the hero has these two women who pull at opposite ends of him, right? So Polly is like Kay in the Godfather. And then, um, you know, Rika is like Apollonia. I don't want to push this too hard, but it's kind of funny that like Richard Conti is torn between like the straight, respectable girl and the 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 um wild, passionate one, and that he ends up picking the wild, passionate one. Michael Corleone has to pick the Polly one because it's it goes along with his image, and also Apollonia blows up in a car. But it's kind of it, it was it was a funny funny echo of the godfather or pre-echo of the godfather i I think it's really interesting how well this movie dramatizes what it's like to be immersed in work and then be drawn back into domesticity you know maybe i'm just a bad person but i know exactly what it feels like to be in this cutthroat world and then have some be talking to somebody whose biggest concern is whether or not there's like enough milk in the fridge for the fruit loops you know and 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 there's just a disconnect between the drama of putting life together but then actually living it and and polly is living life and he's trying to put a life together and so it's funny how it how it odds that makes them when they're trying to to talk to one another or even have a conversation it's a very mammoth like conversation actually but predating him yeah, and of course, it's great. that's why when Polly comes back, she starts giving him grief for not taking her out to dinner. <laughs> like he can't stay awake. He's been like, he's like, yeah, okay, that's my that's my number he's one been, priority. It's it's like you've been mugged of your last dollar, and your date wants to know if you have cab fare. <laughs> so, what's your moment? Uh, my, my moment is when he's getting paid for the apples by by Mike Figlia, which, by the way, that's a good name. You're not getting a better name than Mike Figlia. Absolutely not. Uh, so. When he when he's upstairs in the office with with Mike Fig, uh, Mike Figlia and how good of a villain is uh, he's so is good Lee so good uh, but anyway something funny happens which he he tells him he likes him a, a bunch of times and the first three times he's just kind of ribbing him or he he's he's saying it because it's the kind of thing you say or he says to everybody and then the fourth time he kind of pauses. Because he's insisting he's he's gonna rob him of all the cash he has in the office and then take a paper check for, <laughs> yes, the, rest, for the rest of it. Which is why he gets mugged later so that they can recover the check. Uh and and the fourth time he says it, it it's almost as though he means it. It's it, it's it's there's a blurred line really between just the BS that comes out and what he means. And it's almost as though Mike Figlia can't keep track for himself of whether he's BSing at any individual moment. Reminds me of another scene later. Um, when they've when they've uh, stolen the apples and he says, hey, we're going to have a party. And he just wants to see if the guy will, you know, will drink with them. Uh, and again, it, it's difficult to tell if he's BSing or he's being real or how sunk into his world he is. You know, is, is he just having this party because that's what the guys expect? Is he having the party because he enjoys it? Is he just trying to keep control of the gang? I don't think his motivations are even clear to himself, <laughs> right. but I think the ambiguity and muddiness make him an interesting villain. 
Yeah, he's always interesting because you don't know like where, where, like who, if someone's, who is this man like in Citizen Kane? Who is Mike Figlia? You can't he, really tell. He's very much like Iago in that sense where right. he, he just pervades this evil, but he couldn't explain, he couldn't explain what his grievance against the world is if he wanted to. Okay, so in part three, of course, we talk about the title, uh, the ending, the key takeaways. Dan, do you have anything on the ending? Yeah. Well, actually, if you watch some of the uh, bonus features on the Criterion channel, one thing you'll learn is that Daryl Zanuck actually wrote and directed the scene where the cops come in to the roadhouse at the end while um, Jules uh, Dassin was out of town. And that's where the cop says to Richard Conte, you know, just because, you know, just because something bad happened to you, you can't take the law into your own hands. So Daryl Zanuck had to put this moralizing bid in at the end. But what's interesting is that after that is when Richard Conti leaves. He leaves the suburbs. He leaves this this house and this world that he's presumably been fighting for overseas just to go live with the prostitute. And she says, why? And he says, well, I just like the way you do your hair. And, and that he kind of forsakes all that. He turns, his, he turns his back on that. And I don't want to push this too far, but I will. It's so funny. What does he, what does he do? He eats the apple. He eats the apple of the knowledge of good and evil and decides, you know what? I'm going to have a lot more fun with um, Rika than I will with Polly. Yeah, it's, the, I think the understanding is, and again, this is this is history without flashbacks, but it seems like the correspondence that he's had with Polly is he's made enough money now for for him to come home. Right. And so again, you know, just like we we're talking about with the with the phone call, he's pulled out of the world of chaos, you know, of thing. Right. What is he supposed to do? Things break, and he puts them back together. He keeps the ship afloat, and so he's left this world of chaos, which we don't even get to see. To, to enter into life rather than make it. Um, but it seems like he doesn't, he doesn't have the skill set for that. Right. Well, I also, it also occurs to me watching the ending is how great that scene is in the roadhouse. When, first of all, when he has the fist fight with Lee J Cobb is great, but then when they're talking and Lee J Cobb is trying to finagle the hatchet under the table with his feet. And it occurred to me, I can't believe this movie hasn't been remade because that struck me as like a real, again, like reading backwards in time. That was such a Tarantino moment. Wasn't it like it reminded me of so many scenes like in Inglorious Bastards or like where he's like just trying to get the and I'm like, is he going to take this out? Now, of course, in Tarantino, he'd swing it. And it would hit one of the henchmen in the head or something like that. But it's kind of funny how like watching movies today affects how you watch movies that came before them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, th this is just a this is just a hidden classic, which it, it's the kind of movie which if you again, if you watch it a hundred times, you would learn or immerse yourself in the ru the rules of good movies because yeah. If you're obeying the rules structurally, you can make a movie about anything. That's really that's the that's the moral of the structure of this film, which is that if you do proper exposition, if you know who your characters are, if you put them at odds with the values that they purport to believe in and let them play it out for themselves as characters, you could literally you could make a detective noir about the delivery of fruit. <laughs> and you could contribute to a very, very small genre, which is, of course, the other great detective film that has to do with the corruption of fruit, which is, of course, Chinatown. What do you get the orange groves? That's true. So thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about Thieves Highway. Mike, great pick. Follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm. You could also follow us where? Letterbox. Letterbox. Let us know what to watch next. We'll see you next time.